And we're live. Oh, um, <laughs> lightning crashes over me. Yeah, yeah. This was the logical conclusion of this bit. Yeah. <laughs> it was just... us internalizing the entire live discography. There we go. That's a hard I word. I don't love you. I don't tempt you. Some, uh, some words are hard. It is not the end of this. <laughs> Such as the word juice. Juice? As opposed, yeah, as, as uh, kind of concatenated with lakinis. Oh, well, he never says that in the song. Trivia. <laughs> I suppose he just yeah. used it as a, what is it? It's a metaphor for eating out like a Sumerian. Well, one's juice. Yep. Yeah. It's a metaphor for other kinds of juice. Well, it's kind of like how they call, uh, they call in some parts of the Midwest, they call green peppers mangoes. You know, wherever he grew what? up, they called oranges uh, lakinis. They call it green peppers mangoes. I've heard that. You haven't heard that? No. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> no. No. Uh, well, that's unfortunate. Yeah. That shouldn't be. Yeah. Mangoes taste like a thing already. They do. Mangoes are already a thing. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. It's been a big month. Yeah. A lot of that stuff going on. That is true. Lots of ins, outs, and what have you. All kinds in and out. <laughs> well, all kinds in and out going on this month. Christian Slater, no. I live here now. <laughs> this is my hollowed out pepper boy, and I'm a mango kid. The mango kid. Oh man, that is an early runner for yeah, the... um, a title. However, I don't have a pen. Oh no! Wait, there it is. Ha There we go. Pen. Yeah, there you go. Oh gosh. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to think. Like, what do we want? Like, what do we want to preamble this with? Because, like, in that big month, we put forward the new uh, the new Patreon goals. Yeah. Yeah, we, I mean, pe- uh, people uh, people are here. No. Yeah, I suppose. Um, you know, we don't have to to waste time patting ourselves on the back. Let's, let's get, <laughs> get to it. Yeah. Let's do it. I mean, we. I mean, we could also preamble with other stuff too. But yeah, I don't think we need to review. I think everyone who's here knows. Okay. That'd be my opinion, but maybe maybe I'm yeah. wrong. But since yeah. it's a one way medium, I'll never know. Hmm. Yeah, I suppose. Well, we do have the chat. Yeah, for, for our backers from no wait shit um, man this every instinct no no yeah, <laughs> yeah they know yep yep it yeah. is it, it is known <laughs> um you want to know something they don't know what's that because I didn't announce it and I'm just now thinking about it and we decided to announce it uh, our next live show yes that that is the kind of thing let's let's add value with new information yes new information yeah no we uh we're gonna we're coming to Austin at the end of July yeah. Austin, yep. uh, Texas, not Austin, Massachusetts, or or Austin, Massachusetts, no, or Austin Cliff, <laughs> uh, in DeKalb, Illinois. We are going to Austin, Texas, for the classic game fest. It's not games. That, that took me a little while to figure out. You know, what? I still don't have the Portland one entirely straightened out. Yeah, I will. I will mix up the initials. Yeah, I will be like Portland GRE. Yeah, uh, I can never figure out if it's if it's plural games or singular game. Yeah. Um, yeah. So the, uh, yeah, going to Austin in mm-hmm. July, which I'm sure it was going to just be like a real sweaty nightmare. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, like, I know in Texas, everything is air conditioned. Days. What's that, sir? Yeah. I mean, Texas, everything in Texas is air conditioned. Mm-hmm. Um, but the, uh, even if, even if so, I'm going to be very sweaty. 
Yeah. So that's why we are going to be uh, um, brought, you know, doing the live show uh, directly from our hotel room. And the, you know, the venue will just be however many people we can fit. I'm going to cut big holes in my armpit just so it's constantly aired <laughs> out. You can't stain what's not there. It's going gonna, it's gonna to look like a bleeding wound. It's going to look like the dark sign. Um, I don't, I don't know that, uh, just a chat flow snake is asking if retronauts are going to that. They just went to one in the Midwest. Um, I don't know that they're going to the Texas one. Um, I have not heard that from them. So uh, it'd be cool. If they're there. It's fun yeah. to hang out with those guys. Um, yeah, but it is, uh, I don't know that they're going to, but we're going to be there. Um, I've never been there before. I don't know what it's like. Um, but it's surprisingly hard to find these things. Um, these conventions, like they're, they're, we're in a weird weight class for it. So there are either things that are like way bigger than us, you know, who, you know, cause I went through the, the Byzantine dragon con application process, which was complicated and, uh, you know, was a lot of different applications just to get it in front of somebody. And then, uh, that didn't work out. Like I just never heard back. It was a bummer. Um, and then looked for other ones, but then there were other ones that are just kind of like holes in the wall. Like, um, I don't know, it might've been good, but the one that the restaurants just did, they did their live show and it's like, they're doing it from a bar. Yeah. And you could hear it. Yeah. You can hear that they're in a bar, which I, I don't know that maybe it was awesome. And I haven't talked to him about it yet, but like, that seems distracting mm-hmm. uh, to me. That might be hard to do. Um, yeah. Yep. But, uh, no, this is, uh, this is exciting. Um, yeah. and we'll have more, more kind of announcements and that'll be up on the front page probably like tomorrow yeah. as people are watching this live. It would be cool to do one on the East Coast as well. Like we want to hit the different areas, but there aren't as many of the reason why I went into that is because there aren't as many as you maybe think. And the one, some of the ones that are the big ones are like, you know, we can try, but it's still, you know, we're medium fish. So they're yeah. there for big fishes. Like if you're used to booking your Giants Bomb and the like, <laughs> like we're not Giants Bomb. No. So we are, we are a mid-sized bomb. Yes, we're a mid-sized bomb. <laughs> uh so yeah so that's uh but classic game fest looks like it is appropriately sized for our bombness and we have people who we know there and then uh you know slack people and jala lives in texas uh which is gonna be great and mm-hmm. then i'm trying to find some way to either collaborate or at least hang out with uh, lobos which i'm really excited about um so all good shit it is yeah. uh, there are good reasons to go to texas yep ben's there mm-hmm yeah, we can we we can have you explain to him in person why you think it's so funny that uh, bad things can happen to him. Yeah, I will. <laughs> well, I'll explain to him in detail uh, over the course of tying him to a chair. <laughs> is he? Uh, is he one of the, your level guys who who is on the right side or the wrong side of dishonored? Uh, all of the level people are on the wrong side of dishonored, except, except for, for Jala. Okay, and you. Yeah, because you'd have to tell me if you weren't. It's a <laughs> yeah, it's a, otherwise it's entrapment. Yeah. No, no, we're uh, we're uh, yeah, I'm definitely down with dishonored. Yeah, we're, we're dishonored bros. Those guys, man. I, yeah. I like them, but that's, that's crazy. Yeah, they uh they just they bounced off of it in a in a really big bad way. Wow. And uh, I've never I've never gotten like what uh what what feels like a satisfactory answer as to why. Wow. <laughs> hate whales. <laughs> well, if you hate whales, you would love dishonored. I guess that's true because dishonored hates whales too. Yeah, uh, <laughs> it is a, a whale misfortune simulator. The uh, the DLC is literally the first level. of The DLC is just like the <laughs> whale torturing us thing I've ever seen. Yeah, well, you're stomping around like in uh, in hip waders in, uh, in in whale guts, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, oh. <laughs> whaling pants. Yeah, um, hmm. pretty gross. Yeah, 
Do you want to get some get to some questions? Yeah, let's do it. Yeah. Uh, so Max writes in. Uh, we're doing our priority Patreon. My name is service. Max. What? I, I was trying to do a sanitarium. <laughs> My name is Max. <laughs> yeah. You're a kid. You're a kid. I'll show you. Hey, kid. Yeah. Um, in honor of y'all's new stretch goals, it feels like a good time to ask, what are your top four REM songs? Bonus points to Gary if he lists them in his Louis Armstrong voice. <laughs> that's related. Um, <laughs> that, that's a hard one. I wish I had reviewed these. Did you Did you look at these in advance? Uh, yeah, yes, okay. I, I did. Uh, um, yeah, we're going to have to fire from the hip. Or you are. I'm not. I've, yeah, that's, yeah, that's tough. <laughs> um, you, do you want to go first then? That seems fair. Yeah, these are not in uh, in any particular order, um, but uh, let's say South Central Rain. Mm-hmm. Um, let's go with Cuyahoga. Okay. Um, Drive. Okay. Ooh, interesting. Yeah. <laughs> What's that? The Dark Horse Candidate. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, uh, oh, God, what was the fourth one that I looked at? No, uh, what's the frequency, Kenneth? Okay. Yep. Those, are all, those are all real good. Um, I'm going to name four, but I also don't know that these are my actual four because I'm just firing off the hip. So I would uh, change these, but I'll do them in the voice. Um, mostly because I've had like a waking up with like a sore throat and some kind of like membrane of goo, like in the back end. And this, maybe this will clear it up. Uh, And I want my throat itches all the time now (laughs) because that's just reality for me. It's been like a week and a half that I've had. I don't even know if it's a cold, like whatever this thing is, uh, allergies or something, but it sucks. Um, so I would say, and I'm also going to choose, um, you know, other ones that, that you mentioned, self central rain is really up there. That's real good. I might, um, in the, uh, the reckoning slot though, I might go, uh, I'm a coat. Uh, <laughs> I cover coat a lot. Yeah. Um, I really like uh, maps and legends. <laughs> uh, I like that song a lot. This is the first time people are getting to see you do this. Yeah, it, it doesn't change my face. <laughs> me, yeah, I don't actually know. Um, uh, I really like uh, World Leader Pretend. <laughs> uh, that's a good one. Um, and I really like, uh, God, maybe it's a, another one that's on green. Um, uh, belong? Or belong. <laughs> that's uh, ding, 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 ding. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I love that song. Um, mm. And there's later stuff I like too. Like I don't, I really love REM. That's a hard question. Yeah. That's... It'll be like for the finale of that show. <laughs> <laughs> What's your I'm going to have to review everything because God, that's a, that's a really hard question. Well, there are also like five different bands. So like, you know, different bands of different qualities throughout time. Yeah. You know, yeah. even, even late ones are still like, I'm still way into though. Yeah. Like, it's yeah. Even, like, like there's, like uh, imitation of life is a great song. Yeah, that's that was gonna be, that was gonna be one of mine, but I didn't wanna I didn't wanna get into uh get into kind of like a different posture about reveal. Yeah, yeah, yeah like <laughs> I mean, reveal doesn't totally suck, but why reveal is disappointing. Yeah. Um. But the uh, yeah, that's a great song. Mm-hmm. And then uh, boy, like uh, gardening at night. Like there's stuff on like the first like EP that is super super good. Mm-hmm. Um. Yeah. There's a lot on accelerate that's pretty good. I mean. Yeah, accelerate is not. Yeah, is, is actually like pretty decent. Like. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You reacted strangely to me saying uh, "Drive" was a was a dark horse candidate. Is that a is that a poorly regarded REM song? I don't know if it's widely poorly regarded. I think it's a little bit boring. Like mm. it, it's good. Um, I think it's in search of like uh, like another like something like a change. It's really static. Yeah. So yeah. Um, you know, and that's fine. That that's a good thing. It's just kind of a weird. I remember. 
I have a strong a disappointment association from hearing it for the first time because it was like my favorite band when that band came out and it was the lead single. Um, and I was just like, oh no, like the whole album is just songs with one note, you yeah. know, and that's not quite, that's an exaggeration of how yeah. non-dynamic that song is. But I remember thinking that a lot when I was young and then it's like, it's grown to light, uh, it's grown on me, um, but it's not, uh, I, it wouldn't be in my top, top five or yeah, top yeah. four um, for uh, me, but it's, it's, you know, it, 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 it sounds more like the end of the world than a lot of other mm-hmm. other songs do to me. Yeah. Um, and kind of the commonality between all the ones I listed and going back and just kind of like saying like, okay, I, yeah, Cuyahoga is definitely up there. Like all of them are just really bass heavy. You, you know what, uh, what does it for me the way that drive wants to like the version of that, that I think is really good is Ebo the letter. Mm. Um, that's kind of low and static and like foreboding, yeah. but I, I like that song a little bit better. And again, I'm not, projecting that you have to or anything like crazy like that but that's that's the same thing you're getting from drive i think i get from ebo the letter yeah Um, it's uh yeah it just it sucks because i think that automatic for the people is really overrated yeah (laughs) well it has has their like worst song like like, uh, everybody hurts is the worst song that rem ever put their name on yeah like it's worse than radio song i think and like radio song is incredibly bad yeah like all their life radio (laughs) Like the one's like weird Brooklyn. Like, what are you saying? What are you? Pl-? And then the part where Michael Start Stipe starts like moaning, and Kara S one is acting like he doesn't know what's going on. Like Michael's, hey, 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 say what? It's <laughs> <laughs> so stupid. We could do a whole like a radio song special in that episode, and we just deconstruct that song like literally word for word. <laughs> just why this is embarrassing. Yeah, it is so bad. Yeah. Um, yeah. Max has a PS on this one. Have you seen Michael Stipe's beard? Yeah. There, there are like great. four different question marks on this. He did a really good um The Man Who Sold the World uh after Bowie died. Uh oh. on, on Letterman or Jimmy Fallon or some late night thing. Um mm-hmm. he performed it in advance of like the Bowie Big Boy tribute concert. Oh, and, I need uh, to that out because that is one of my favorite singers singing one of my favorite songs. He does he does a great job. It's really really good, and it's just really fun to watch him sing. Like he's done a couple um, like small live shows mm-hmm. um, and stuff since then, but it's really fun to watch him like do stuff again. He's really really great. Is he still real mobile? Uh, no, he was he was very somber, mm-hmm. uh, and it's a it's a pretty somber song. So yeah. Uh, Kilo writes in, I'm heading back to college this fall after dropping out of university back in 2012. Any advice or noticeable differences around returning as a, quote, mature student? I know Gary's more recently experienced in this, but I'd love Cole's advice, too. Now, what, what do you think, Cole? I've got no advice other than, like, you know, it seemed like everybody who went to college later in life just worked harder because they knew, you know, what life outside of it was like. And so, like, as a young kid, I kind of didn't understand it, but I admired it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so just, like, do what comes natural because there's a reason you're going back and, you know, you know why you're there in a way that, like, somebody who is literally a child would not. That's yeah. not advice. That's just a comment. Like, I admire people who go back later. No. Um, real quick before I get into that. Um, so, Max, here's your, your shovel night kiss for your question. <laughs> and here's Kilo's shovel night kiss. Um, is that an amiibo? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, the uh, uh, so I I'm in a real weird place with that right now. So as far as advice goes, um, I didn't get. If you are getting a degree that will lead you to a job, um, the advice is probably very similar to Cole's. Like just put your head down and work. 
Um, I found socializing stuff in college really difficult uh, with people who were much younger than me and I had very little in common with. Um, so I didn't. Uh, I just, you know, I didn't really make college friends. Mm -hmm. And then um, I am like really coming around on this place and it's depressing, but I kind of wish I hadn't gone back. Oh, yeah. Uh, it was a lot of money and I don't feel like I got enough out of it to yeah. make it worth it. Um, and it was cool because I was able to justify quitting a job I hated. But it, other than that, like it's, I'm, I don't know, like I got stuff out of it. And, but there's not, um, it's so hard to compare. Like value propositions are difficult. Mm -hmm. uh, so it's, it's, yeah, I can't say for sure, you know, because they're totally different things. Like the money I put into it and the experience I got out of it are hard to compare. But I, I, my gut is saying that like, you know what, you probably would have been okay not doing that. And then, you know, if as it becomes maybe more likely that there is, I can carve rent out of not going back to like a shitty office job, then it becomes something where it's like, I, it's not for employability's sake. It is just uh, how valuable I find the experience. And as you kind of reduce things further and further from it, it makes it seem like more of a mistake, um, which is a bummer. And nobody likes to admit that. Nobody wants to say you made a big life change and it was a mistake, mm -hmm. you know, but it, it does feel a little bit like that right now. And maybe I'll get over that. But right now it's like, it's, it's hard for me to advise to, because if I could go back in time, I probably would not do it. Yeah. Um, but again, I might feel differently in a couple months. Yeah. What have you too. I mean, just kind of like, just like with anything, know your goals, honestly, like, yeah. You know, be mindful and aware of how those goals are going to change with shifting priorities. Like, it, it was, yeah, I couldn't, I couldn't, I didn't have the confidence in the fact, like, when I realized that I was having a hard time choosing a major because there was nothing, like, the things I wanted to do were not things that led to that. You know, like, it's not like, you know, if you are a, like, if I decided, like, I totally just wanted to write. Um, you can learn a lot from being an English major, but that's not actually, there's not a career path for that. Mm -hmm. Um, if I listened to that information rather than having like a lack of confidence in it, I just assumed I was wrong about everything, you know, and, and kind of did not trust my, my instincts. Um, you know, and that was kind of the lesson. So, and that's a valuable lesson. I just don't know if it's worth like tens of thousands of dollars in student debt yeah. of, of worth a lesson, but like. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I've been kind of uneasy about that recently and, and thinking about it. And it's a bummer, you know, and I have this, I even talking about it, I have this weird feeling I'm disappointing people <laughs> talking about it. And that's, that sucks. I don't know why I feel that, but mm -hmm. it is, uh, that's, that's what's been on my gut. So. Yeah. You know, and, and this also is kind of like something where we don't know kind of like there, there's more information that could kind of help with us. Um, mm -hmm. just because like one of the best things that I kind of, you know, realized about halfway through college and, you know, really started taking advantage of was like college is there. Yeah. You're taking classes and stuff, but you're also, you also have a lot of free time to just do the kind of thing you want to do mm -hmm. um, and work on constructive stuff. And like, that's where started doing broadcast and you know stuff like that. Like having that extra time to just like work on your own projects. But like, if you are, you know, a non-traditional student and you're working a full-time job, and you know you're you're going to do this kind of on the side to just kind of like better yourself. You're not going to be in that situation, and that same exactly. situation that like that a uh, you know a young person who is just kind of like I'm going to go live in a you know shitty you know matchstick house off of campus and live on beer and ibuprofen, and then just use this free time to you know work on things that I want to work on. Like that is it's such a time and place kind of thing. Yeah, I, th I feel like a lot of um, I'm not projecting this onto anybody, but a lot of people I know who have very fond memories. 
out of school. What they're really just having fond memories of are their early 20s. Yep. Um, you know, and that's cool. Uh, that, that's really great. But it is, uh, it's easy to confuse those things. They're not the same thing. You know, yep. and a lack of, college is not uh, synonymous with a lack of responsibility. Um, because when I went, it was real torturous uh, when I was doing it while working full time and did not, it like remains to be seen what it adds up to. But does that, right now it doesn't feel like it added up to much. Right. Um, so, and that's not necessarily applicable to, uh, to uh, Kilo, Kylo. Um, but, you know, it could be something. I'm not, I'm not trying to say I'm advising that person. <laughs> <laughs> you know, their situation is totally different, I'm sure. Yeah. Um, but just uh, just speaking to my own experience, that's that's kind of where I'm landing at. Yeah. So. Yeah. So hopefully there's something useful out of that. <laughs> I mean, if not, it's still, hopefully there's something, if there's not useful, hopefully there's something interesting out of it. Yeah. And if not that, then I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry. Uh, let's see here. Greg writes, um, oh, my lights are flashing because it's starting to rain. Hmm. All right. No. <laughs> uh, so, so Greg writes, uh, there, there's a saying that the curse of being an adult is the money to buy the games you want, but never the time to play them. I'm very envious of how you two manage to organize and divide your time to play all the games for your podcast and do all the other network related work. Both of you juggle work, numerous podcasts, blow through huge games in several days and make it all look easy. Whereas I can hardly handle a full-time job and two podcasts, only one of which I edit. Um, and it took me over three months to go to go through Fallout 4 uh, from start to end, for example. I know the, there's two of you which helps the workload and other people on the network as well. But for the rest of us, can you share some of your strategy and thoughts about managing your day-to-day -day lives and finding slash making the time for all of these games and podcasts? Um, you, I bet you you can speak to this more than I can. Like, I don't, um, I don't like, really have a trick. I, don't, I haven't worked full-time for a while. Mm -hmm. uh, when I was, that was really difficult. And uh, during that time, I just didn't do anything else, really. Um, that's really all I did. Yeah. Um, now that I work part-time, um, it's significantly easier. I just, in my spare time, I play games. I play games for the show and try to get ahead. Yep. Um, but, I mean, what that means is uh, there's a lot of time where there's, like, kind of pleasure games or big-budget games I'm not really getting a chance to play. Yep. Um, and that just is okay. You know, so I kind of like it helps to let the show kind of dictate what I'm going to play. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's how I get do it. Yeah. At the worst of it, when my day job was um, kind of taking up 50, 60 hours a week sometimes um, with a lot of like client work kind of things, it was, you know, just about like my joke answer would be like, oh, just don't have a personal life or a social life. And kind of still the case, like I'm trying to learn it. Like the the real kind of answer is that like just do this like okay so go back in time and start having done this right around the time you got your first full-time job and uh mm -hmm. then you'll just it'll just fit in because you don't know anything else um the non-glib answer for that is is honestly you know managing the time through kind of very fastidious calendar management more than anything and you know there's a lot of stuff that you know there, there's there's a that aspect of it probably won't match every different personality type but like making sure that I know what's coming up over the next month. So I know what, you know, when I can play something for pleasure without feeling bad um, for doing so is, uh, is, is, is a really big deal. And so that kind of coupled with um, the fact that we've gotten more efficient at this over time. 
uh, through things like markers and uh, through just kind of knowing roughly when we're going to record and having communication and logistics just kind of fall into a routine. Um, and a very recent development of going part-time has actually left me with more free time than I know what to do with, kind of. And so it's just been a lot of reading and things like that. So like, I guess the strategy or the trick is just use all the tools that you know you have at your disposal, calendars and lists and things like that in a real common sense way to just kind of always stay ahead and you know be aware of when you can ignore a responsibility and not feel bad about it. Yeah, even just knowing is really helpful. Yeah. Like even when I, if I don't, like just having that kind of, because then I know how much, I mean, the same thing that you're doing, I just don't, uh, like don't write it down, but like just knowing like, oh, I know what our, our RPG is, or I know what our next couple of games are, so I know about what time I have to devote to that. Mm-hmm. Um, that's hugely helpful. And then, um, you know, don't, uh, so with the person who wrote in the question who was like, uh, you know, I just do two podcasts and I uh, work full time. That's tons. Yeah, that's um, you know, even if you just edit one of them, like um, splitting the difference is a really big deal. Um, like if if either one of us had to edit every show, mm-hmm. that would make this much harder. You know, so it, what it means is kind of the rhythm they're on is like for the two big ones. Um, you know, you can edit those and edit those in a row, and then you have like some time where you just don't like you don't have to do the big ones. Yeah, I mean, bit, like, you know? like for both of those, like you and I, we have like one edit session for WAF and Bonfireside Chat a month. Yeah. You know? and, and like any that's pretty much been our strategy and that's our strategy for like you know the the new patreon shows and uh you know some of them is like anything you can if you have to do it once a month you can do it yep <laughs> once a month is never too much yeah and you know? i guess that's the tip like you know if you can kind of renegotiate some of those things you know some of those commitments to be you know a little bit more sustainable from kind of the core like you know, even when we when we started planning bonfires, I chat was the first, which was the first kind of like really big addition to the network after Watch Out for Fireballs. Like we planned that around the same like off model of like, yeah, it's you know twice as many shows, but it's you know not twice as much work for us. You know, yeah, we're we're gonna record, uh, you know, everything at once. Like that, so that would that's actually a tip. Like, you know, if you can record more than one thing at a time. Mm-hmm. That's really helpful. For me, it is much easier because you're just clearing space on your calendar once. Yeah. Um, you know, so it's much easier to record as much as you can really do comfortably without the quality suffering uh, mm-hmm. uh, at one point. Yeah. So you yeah, can. That's that. That's a little bit of the thing because, like, people people write in and say, like, "Oh, how do you guys? How do you guys do so much of this?" My my real only weekly commitment. Like this has to happen at the same time every week is the level. Everything yeah. else is a staggered two or three week kind of, you know, kind of thing. So when you're done, you're done for a while. Yeah. Yeah. And which is, which is great. Like that's really great. And then the other thing too, with bonfires, I chat and we mentioned this is that like playing through the game, the one time is the biggest chunk of work yep. after that, the research part of it, is not and review part of it is not nearly as intense as it is of playing like even a simple watch out for fireballs game like i think for the brawler episode we're recording on saturday is some of the least amount of time i put into playing the game mm-hmm. uh, just because they're so short like i played both of them multiple times like it is <laughs> uh, you know um but the uh, even so that's closer to what a bonfire side chat commitment is yeah you know so doing a show where it is a based on a bigger body of work like zooming in saves us time too I guess is my point. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Uh, yeah. Uh, so Zachary writes, 
Forgive me if this is well-trod territory on Bonfireside Chat, but I haven't listened to every episode of the show yet. I'm replaying Dark Souls for the second time and simultaneously listening to uh, Bonfireside Chat and watching Epic Name Bros from the Dark series, a thorough Let's Play with lore and mechanics discussed. I'm a big fan of the Soul series environmental interact and obtuse storytelling, but I'm struck listening to you and Ian B., um, by just how much of the story of this five-year-old game is still obscured. It seems like there are still large portions of the game's story and lore that will never be resolved or clarified. I know this is part of the fun for people, and establishing a headcanon is something you work on throughout a bonfire side chat season. I still find myself frustrated about some of the big gaps in the game, especially considering the discussion for new ideas for Dark Souls 1 has slowed to a relative trickle. Do you ever find yourself feeling frustrated by this aspect of the series, or does it always just fuel your drive to dig deeper? Uh, thanks for all the work, and thank you for saying those nice things about us there. Um, so yeah, do you get frustrated by kind of the, the ambiguity? Um, and does that, uh, does that motivate you? Um, I mean, does it motivate us to kind of dig further? Um, no, like not, not for me. I don't get frustrated um, because I don't, uh, as I like my approach to, to a story or to fiction is becoming more and more sympathetic to the idea that like um, big picture and broad strokes is good. Mm -hmm. And there are probably things in these stories that are there to be evoc evocative, wink, and uh, and suggest suggest details and the like without um, having as concrete an answer as maybe you would think. Um, that's something I came to during Bloodborne, for sure, because of like the kind of dreamy weeminess and like that thing. Uh, so little things in Dark Souls One, of which there aren't many, that aren't really explained. Like I think that I would be curious as to the question asker that if what things they consider to still be holes in that story. Yeah. That, that story is, is for a soul game is fairly tight now. Um, as far as dangling threads, like mm. at least with like, you know, 70% accuracy, like there are a couple of things that are still guessy wessy, you mm. know, uh, like peanut world and Gwyn's first air and stuff. But the, the guesses, I feel good with them, you know? Um, so getting to those spaces where it's not totally tied up is fine for me. Like I still like, I, I like the guess and I don't, it's not about a search for truth. It's just for like a search for like something that it sounds cool and has personal meaning and is close to the truth. Yeah. Something that's resonant or feels like a good story. Um, yeah. You know, I'm very much the same way. I'm highly tolerant of, amb of ambiguity and storytelling. And I think it's even, it's that impressionistic side of it that even draws me to it. Mm -hmm. I think where I get frustrated, especially, is when you start adding in kind of continuity um, and kind of looking at the gaps of time between them and seeing what exactly it is they're trying to say and kind of those disconnects, specifically as regards like Dark Souls 2 and the way that nothing, I think this is spoilers, the way that Dark Souls 3 treats Dark Souls 2 is actually pretty unsatisfying to me. Yes. Um, and that is where, that is kind of where my frustration sets in because like part of the, part of the joy of this is, you know, any one game in and of itself can be, you know, satisfying, right? Like I'm really happy with our read on Dark Souls 2 that it is a collection of short stories, right? Like that's great. Um, but, you know, I would love for this all to feel like, you know, one big work, like Dark Souls 1 through 3 with like Demon Souls and Bloodborne kind of thrown in as these little guidance stories or whatever. I would love for each of those to be additive in a way that kind of like makes all of them more the sum of their parts. Um, and that just isn't ending up, ending up to be the case. 
what we what instead you have are these like little echoes that I'm becoming increasingly less convinced or decreasingly convinced serve much more purpose um than to just kind of you know, fan service is a really kind of like shitty way to put it um but to be there to say yeah, don't say that on Twitter. Like, you'll, you'll, get, <laughs> you'll spend that's a that's a bad way to spend a saturday so, yeah, yeah. Okay. fortunately nobody will listen to this but uh but no just like it doesn't feel like it's it, it, it those echoes add up to as much as i want them to you know yeah so that's where my frustration kind of comes from is not just in any one of the games like whatever those can be ambiguous and i can make my own kind of conclusions around it just the whole body of work isn't you know you know that is where i want a little bit of definition that i'm just not getting yeah and and um real quick too uh so in the, in the Slack, people are kind of mentioning the the callouts that are in uh, two Dark Souls two that are in Dark Souls three. They're mm-hmm. not entirely absent. Um, there's one for every ten Dark Souls one callouts. And the bigger issue though is that they are kind of callouts to characters and lands and armor sets, and not to anything Dark like it really feels like a baby bathwater kind of thing where it's not actually taking into account any of the things that Dark Souls two did, you know um yeah that were cool like when people you know have their problems with it we don't need to turn this into like defend dark souls 2 necessarily but just i mean it's we have a little show for that it's a it's the sequel to the game you know to completely ignore the kind of story stuff or the big picture stuff that it does just feels like immensely misguided (laughs) to me Mm -hmm. um especially when you know so we have one which is about this cycle we have two that is about um, kind of the state of the world with this cycle and then introduced to this really cool idea of like, what if there's something else? And then we have three, which is like 1.3. You know, it, yeah. it really doesn't, I haven't seen any kind of smoking gun that suggests that three is really anything different than one um, in what the story is. I have like an interpretation I like that is like a headcanony thing mm-hmm. um, that rec- there's nothing, there's, not much to support it in the text and i recognize i might be grasping because i just want it to be not just dark souls one again mm-hmm. you know and that's the disappointing thing to me it's not those little um little tiny side stories that don't get wrapped up that gets disappointing to me it's like it is i mean it's what you said it's that the uh the whole thing is not adding up to one kind of cohesive body of work um you know it's it's a, it's one perfect game uh, a bunch of kind of games around it that are really, really great, you know, that do interesting things that aren't quite perfect. And then that perfect game again, you know, is what it feels like. And that bums me out. Um, yeah. That's what bums, you know, it doesn't feel like it has an end and it doesn't have to be like a big Michael Bay crazy ending, you know, it just needs to be, you know, follow up on some of these threads that are introduced in two <laughs> that were interesting to me, you know, and we're like a new direction. Like I don't. This is this is going to sound way more damning than I want it to be. But like, well, we know you hate. We know that you hate the game. So. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's I. I just I hate video games in general now. Um, the uh, is that three before three came out, I want. I didn't really want it to be the last one. Um, now I do. Yep. And and three did that. It wasn't just like oh, I'm ready for it to be done. It's the evidence that I don't. I mean, the DLCs could totally change us too, but they don't have an interest in telling a new story. You know, and like I wanted to see a new story with this world and it didn't happen. Um, so if, if it's just going to be like, I would play anything they put out because three is the most solid gameplay wise in the series. I think mm-hmm. like this is the one that feels the best in my hands. Um, so I would always play them. But if they want like if they want to put out another one and it's just like, here's another world with another cycle. Like, that's really disappointing to me. <laughs> um, you know, I, I we've done that too many times. So like, I'm fine with it being the end. 
Yep. You know, and there's three three DLCs that are come out. Like the show is going to last well into summer seventeen. <laughs> you know, probably. Yeah. Um, you know, so the show's not going anywhere anytime soon. It's just like, boy, did I really want something a little bit different? I think. Yep. Um, story-wise, like this is, it's like the opposite of the Bloodborne season, where mm-hmm. like I, I had problems with the mechanics, but thought the story was really solid. Here, it's like the story is just leaving me a little bit cold, and that's a that's a new feeling for me. Like, <laughs> you know, I don't like it. Yep. No. Um. Yeah. Um. Eric writes, "What are your hardline no's for abject suffering games? Uh, porn, like Custer's Revenge. Yep." Um, Custer's Revenge also has a racial element that I don't want to touch in games. Um, there's a there's a game on the list that I'm hoping doesn't come up. And Gary, can I get your uh, can I get your permission to remove this? Uh, Zog's Nightmare. I don't know what that is. That is a neo-Nazi first-person shooter game. Oh yeah, let's yeah. remove it. Uh, okay, <laughs> cool. There we go. Because I wasn't you just like it just makes me sad. <laughs> like anything that is based around hatred, also hatred. Um, I don't want to support them by giving them money. Yeah. The closest thing we did to um, that would be Duke Nukem forever. Yeah. You know, like that's, a, that's as bad as we're going to get, but like, we, I don't think we're going to do like postal or hatred or something like that. Um, uh, Noah Caldwell Gervais, who's one of my favorite YouTube critics mm-hmm. um, did a video that everyone should watch. Um, that's about postal hatred and asshole simulators is what he calls them. And it's, it's incredible. Like it's really, really, really good. Um, and he talks about like kind of what the point is of those games and condemns them in a really, really intelligent way. Nice. Um, you know, and it is, uh, it's one of my favorite like things that has been done about that. Cause when hatred came out, there are a thousand like think pieces and such. Yeah. And this is like, to my mind, the definitive statement on that genre of game that is just around a be a fuck you for teens. <laughs> you know, can, uh, can you give me like a, like a taste of his thesis? Um, it was essentially just that like, uh, these games, there's no joke here. It is just comes from such a place of like shallow anger mm-hmm. um, that presents things without actually saying anything about them. Yeah. Um, you know, and it's, it's like, it's sub South Parkian. Like everyone is the worst, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. But he, he's just examining the, the mindset set. It's not dis, dissimilar to the um, innuendo studios, uh, like the angry Johnny, like Gamergate series thing. Did you watch those? Yeah. Um, yeah. It's not dissimilar from that. Like just examining the mindset of the person who's like, man, do I want to play hatred? Like, I just need to play a game where I kill everyone with no context. And it's because they're telling me I can't do this. You know? <laughs> yep. And it's just, it's just sad. And you can't take these away because this is what games are about for me. Yeah. Yep. 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 Um, yeah. So th- those would probably be the lines. Um, you know, something could sneak in that we don't know about that is something like that. But like, I don't, because the episode, if we did something on Custer's Revenge, it would just be about how gross it is, you know, for a half hour. Like, it'd be hard to make goofs in it. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I just say, like, well, that that came up. Like, I think it was on a, it was on, like, an Exquisite Suffering or Abject Suffrage poll. And it's like, I really don't want to do this. Yeah. It, it just, no, you know, Duke Nukem also is kind of the closest I want to get to just kind of, like, moralizing for a half hour. Yeah. That's the thing, too, is nobody needs to listen to that more than, yeah. like, once a year. so yeah um fumbles writes i'm going to kind of truncate this response just a little bit um but fumbles is uh is a dark souls fan uh, Mm -hmm. who who primarily plays on xbox and uh, is kind of feeling this uh sense of the dark souls community at large looking down on people who play um on xbox 
um, and is talking about like, oh, Digital Foundry has shown that it does perform better on PS4 and on PC, but they feel that it ultimately comes down to people liking the the uh, uh, the controller better on these other systems. Um, and let's let's see here. I'll pick up. Um, yeah, so uh, has shown the superior, for, uh, but I feel like controller presence uh, hate is a, is a little silly. Personally, I have both an Xbox One and PS4 and I've used my DualShock quite thoroughly, but I still prefer my X-Bone sleekness much more. So my question is, um, is what is your preferred controller for Dark Souls as individual games and the series as a whole? Okay. Um, yeah, I mean, you're, you're right that people being dickheads about you playing on Xbox is stupid. Yep. Because <laughs> um, who gives a shit? Like, uh, you know, that's still the game is the important part. You know, like, so the the spec thing, like, that doesn't really matter. No. Um, and it matters to people, but it should only matter to you that it's positive. Like, you can feel good about it, but don't try to make somebody feel bad about it. That's super silly. Um, so I'm with you there. Um, like, I don't, there's not much on the X-Bone that I want to play, so I'm not really looking to get one, but I'm not going to get my identity tied up in attacking it. I think that's no. crazy. No. Um, um, and you could totally play on PC with the Xbox One controller. Yeah. You know? Yeah, it's, yeah, if you, um, controller-wise, like, every controller I've played a Souls game with has worked pretty well. Um, I haven't had any where I've been like, uh, this doesn't work. Um, I, I'm pretty into the PS4 controller, uh, at, which is what I did Bloodborne and uh, DS3 through, um, because I'm, like, real used to it and it works. You yep. know, there weren't any deficiencies that I noticed. Um, and that's the kind of thing I'm going to notice more, I'm more likely to notice in a controller, you yeah. know, yeah. so. Um, I I really liked, I did a little bit of a run um, with, uh, oh gosh, Scholar of the First Sin on the Steam controller, and that feels pretty good. But I think overall, I really, I like the PS3 and PS4 controllers um, more for this, strictly because you're doing a lot of attacks on the uh, the R1 button. And uh, no other controller has like that right bumper that feels good. Mm. Like uh, playing the Dark Souls one on 360 or on a 360 controller on PC doesn't feel satisfying because I hate the way that that button feels. Yeah, it's yeah, it's it's pretty. Uh, oh, this one's not too bad. Like I don't know. I wonder if it if it's a if it's a mechanical thing. Like if they can go out go out. When you were talking about that, I was like, yeah, for sure. It feels then, simultaneously clicky and mushy to me on any yeah. ones, any of the ones that I've tried. I don't like the triggers really on the the Xbox controller, mm-hmm. but in, I mean, at the end of the day, like you're still playing Dark Souls. Like if you yep. force me to play Dark Souls with any kind of controller that can play Dark Souls, it's good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I fell in love with the series on an Xbox 360 controller. Yeah, and I play the majority of my Dark Souls two um, playthroughs on a 360 controller. Yeah, I just I, I like the PS3 controller more, and I yeah. haven't spent enough time with an Xbox One controller to like tell you. Um, yeah, you know. Yeah, for me, and this I'm not projecting this on anybody, but for me, the the um, the level of articulation and controller preference is wider. You know, like I, I have a less discerning, like it's cruder. Mm-hmm. You know, um, like there are things that definitely feel bad to me, but it's rare for it to feel bad enough for me to actually have a response. Yeah. Like, oh, that's not too bad. But then I'm distracted by the fun video game I'm playing. <laughs> yep. And then stop caring about that. Like that stuff, it doesn't matter to me, I guess is what yeah. I'm saying. I mean, unless you're playing on like a, an Atari 7200 or something, like the controller is going to disappear for yes. you. It's just for me, <laughs> what is stacked against that happening? Like what is keeping that from happening as quickly as possible? Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, that's, uh, that, that's where it goes. Uh, let's see. Jolly writes, in your time as podcasters, what was the most difficult situation you have had to face and how did you tackle it? 
Um, yeah, that's a good question. Yeah. Um, I would say uh, it's 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 uh, it's difficult to say it's the most difficult because you know maybe it's not maybe there's something I'm not thinking of but like the few times we've had um, like community management or like public relationsy things yep. that are hard. Um, I did a big backer blog about the guy who like was pretty much like abject suffering is stupid and shouldn't exist in a world where Roderick on the line exists um, because it's not as funny. You know, just start over and don't do that or something like that, and that's hard. Um, that's that's non-actionable criticism that actually is persistent enough to where you can't ignore it, mm-hmm. um, and that happened early on enough to where I felt like I couldn't ignore it, yeah. um, because as we, as we get bigger, like this is something that you know, um, moving forward, I need to like I think we both need to. I don't want to be prescriptive, but like we have to gain thicker skins about that shit. Mm-hmm. If someone's just gonna come by and be like, "You suck," like that has to be okay because it's gonna happen as we get bigger. Um, mm-hmm. You know, we can't engage every one of those people. We can't take the emotional energy. So the things that hit the sweet spot when uh, I didn't have the fortitude to ignore that and had to engage that, I had some difficult, you know, either Twitter or or email exchanges with people trying to explain to them why that shitty and feels bad Mm -hmm. and why it's ultimately a waste of his time and my time to do that. Um, That's probably the hardest thing, I think. Yeah. Yeah, definitely those moments trying to decide if ignoring this is worse than addressing it. And mm-hmm. in reality, ignoring it probably is going to be the best way, you know? Yeah. It's like, oh, you know, are you aloof? Are you, you know, not taking feedback? Like that moment of doubt between like, okay, is this something we can do anything with or not? And trying to separate that from this makes me feel bad regardless of if there's anything we can do with it like that is always that is always the most difficult side of that and i would echo that statement like any of the like logistical challenges and stuff that we've had like that's never been that much of a concern those are all problems we can solve it's the other people that you you know at least for me i want to treat them you know or treat their responses like problems i can solve and then having the ability and the discernment to know they're like no you're not going to solve this you're never going to make them happy because that's not the kind of show they want (laughs) there's also like an element you can some of the things are problems to solve but the question becomes like whether you should solve it is it it worth solving yeah Yeah, is it worth solving like for example like somebody who's perfectly nice and not calling them out but somebody on our facebook was like hey stop saying yeah at the end of each other's sentences when you agree with each other um and to my mind like that straddles the line like that's almost good feedback Mm -hmm. um but ultimately i was like i you know i can't make that promise because uh a big part of why i think our shows work is that it's like two dudes having a talk Mm-hmm. And if it's if I'm spending my time worrying about a vocal tick to that degree, or we're spending our time editing out every time someone says yeah <laughs> after a thing, like it's just gonna be like it's it's a it's a move the conversation forward. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not a tick to no purpose. We're not trying to sound like um you know, radio lab. Like it is to say, yeah, let's go on, you know, mm-hmm. agreed. I have nothing more to add to that. Yeah. You know, it's like you, you do it in like walkie talkie. You know, no more <laughs> over. Um, yeah. It's that, and it's comforting and feels natural, and we both do it. And yep. the rhythm is not, uh, you know, it doesn't actually destroy. It's a little bit annoying to the person who complained about it. Mm-hmm. But one, like, it's very easy to listen to that and think, like, oh, thousands of people think this, and they're just not saying it. Mm-hmm. You know, which even if that, I mean, I suppose there's possibility space for that to be true. But it's very easy to take one complaint and have it sound way louder than, yeah thousands of people not complaining 
you know, so that's one thing. And then two, it's just like, uh, at some point, if that's going to be that annoying to you, like, what else are we going to do that's going to be that annoying, you know, and then you're literally just shaving parts of us off until we're a different thing, <laughs> you know, and, and uh, we're not here to be like an ice block that you cut parts off until we're a statue you like, yeah. you know, we're a statue already. Like it doesn't, uh, you know, this is the statue. You can like the statue or not, but, but this is the statue, you know? And I said, yes, nine times during that exchange or yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's fine. Cause it's how people, it's how we talk, you know, I mean, not everyone, but it is something that I like about the network. And it's one of the reasons why I think that we have uh, such a, um, like homey friendly feel is because we don't, I don't think we come off as very broadcast and I'm in favor of that. Oh yeah. Um, you know, a very, like, uh, I know that, um, like he's done a lot of good work and he makes really good points or something like that. But something that always turned me off of, um, like Garnet Lee back in the one up days is he's very broadcast mm -hmm. and it's like, there's a space for that for sure. But the thing that got me into podcasts was listening to people who I thought I would like, like each other, mm -hmm. you know, like I would like these people, they like each other. They like what they're talking about. <laughs> um, you know, that's, that's what I want. Yeah. Let me into that room. Yeah, totally. Like, let me into that room, not let me into that, like, you know, WKRP in Cincinnati, like recording studio. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. We thought they could fly. Maybe, maybe that's 100% misguided too. Like it's possible everyone listening to this is just like, nope, you know, that's. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We, we, we barely tolerate this thing, but like ultimately you have to pick your battles. And also we make the kind of show we would want to listen to. Like that guy who said, yeah, this show shouldn't exist because Roderick on the line exists. Well, actually, that's flattering because I really like Roderick on the line. Yeah. And, you know, like the things that I like seep into the things that I do. So it's going to sound like that stuff, you know? Yeah, it was a, it was a weird that was a weird criticism for that. I got targeted for that because like yeah. I did not because uh, I don't didn't really know what he was talking about. But the idea, the argument being like this thing that you're doing, somebody else does it better. Um, like imagine that applied to music <laughs> or, or to an author. Like, like you know, just walks up on stage and yanks the guitar cord out of the amplifier. Only the Beatles get electric guitar. Yeah, ex exactly. Like yeah, you can't write crime fiction. Like, this has been done. <laughs> yeah. Like that's, that's not really how mediums are, are treated or, you know, and it is like, I can't speak for everyone in the world, but like if I were not in our show and as somebody who is like a mild fan of the Roderick online people like there are people out there who like this better than that mm -hmm. you know which is which I'm not saying they're you know it's better I'm saying that like again just subjectivity is actually a thing and for someone to be like this is objectively worse than this other thing I like stop doing it yeah. but the, the weirdest part about that is like stop doing it and do something else I still want you guys to keep <laughs> doing something like the, the hardest insults are the ones that are laced with a little bit of like I, st I still like you I want you to do this thing but just change it completely yeah. You know. <laughs> can, can, can I can I be prescriptive? Can I be prescriptive in the way people give feedback? Dispense with I love you guys, but because yeah. that, that's kind of like we need to talk. Like nothing good comes after that. Yeah. 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 And and feedback that is, you know, you don't have to listen to all feedback. Nope. Um, yeah. So it is uh that's that's kind of how I feel. And that's gonna become, I think, more of a thing if we continue to grow. Yep. Things like that, where it's like, if we hear it a bunch of times and it feels like in line with our gut, we should listen to it. If it doesn't, if it's something that seems misguided or seems like it would be um, detrimental to what we're going for, it's fine to ignore it. It doesn't mean we're fundamentally disrespecting the person who brought it up. It's just they don't dictate terms. Yeah. You know? 
So that's the most difficult thing, and it is ongoing, and it is only going to get more difficult. Yes. Well, it'll get easier. It'll just happen more often. Yeah. Because ignoring is easier than like the hard part of those has been, you know, 100 entry back and forths on Twitter of trying to express an idea. Like that's the hard part. Yeah. Yep. Let's see here. Austin writes, I recently did a playthrough of Dark Souls and Dark Souls 2. I'm fairly new to the Souls series, so I went into these games very fresh, minus a few frustrating attempts at Scholar of the First Sin when it first came out. I personally love the gameplay of 2 more than 1. However, the connected world in 1 was really cool to me. I feel like Souls 3 has a little of both games rolled into it. I'm really digging the gameplay mechanics and features, and I love the return... Spoilers. Um, uh, <laughs> what are your favorite features uh, from each Souls game? Feel free to include Demon Souls in this. Ultimately, uh, sorry, unfortunately, I have not played that one yet. Okay. Favorite features. Yeah, I think I, I've said this before, um, and we kind of codified it when we did that talk, but I think every Souls game um, is the best at something. Yep. Um, you know, so uh, yeah, let's uh, let's go through them. This is hard. So Demon Souls. Um, like, so Demon Souls, it gets a lot of points for me for establishing the, the, the game, mm-hmm. you know, so like establishing the, that play mechanic, which I will follow to the ends of the earth, you know, mm-hmm. um, like that is, it is my favorite way an action game can feel is this kind of, uh, you know, paced stamina management, uh, stamina management thing. Um, it gets points for that. It gets points, I think for, uh, music. It's my favorite music in the series. Um, it is, uh, yeah, I mean that might be as far as best things. Yeah, like first gets points, you know. But you know. I will say this: I think that Demon Souls gets credit for having, if not the best, the most novel bosses. Yeah. Oh yeah. yeah um, bosses Demon Souls are amazing. <laughs> yeah, I think that I think that Demon Souls is kind of the just the most inventive, and even of like you know you compare it to uh, to Dark Souls One, which is a real D and D first edition ass game aesthetically. Mm-hmm. Souls, I think aesthetically is really satisfying in that regard as well. Yeah, I'll, I'll give that. It's much, much weirder. Um, yeah. The, uh, and then Dark Souls has the best world. Um, you know, like, yeah, Lordran is, is, is the best of these lands. Um, is the most fun to it. And it also has my favorite, um, like story on the periphery, mm-hmm. like stuff like, so the lore stuff, the NPCs and everything is the greatest in that game. I think, um, yeah, for sure. Um, I think that for Dark Souls, I think it has the best expansion, um, oh, yeah. which is which is weird. But like out of all of them, they're super super good. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like the they are batting a thousand on great expansions, but just kind of like the base game of Dark Souls One is impeccable, and the idea that they can bring something together that fundamentally changes it, but still makes everything better. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that that is uh, that is a remarkable thing. Yeah, and that's I mean that's a trick they do in the next two games too. Oh yeah. Which is like, great. But the, seeing that for the first time is just like, Oh, these are going to be the best people for DLC mm-hmm. in games. Yeah. Like I, I, and that's not an exaggeration. I don't think anyone does DLC as well as from. Definitely. Um, so dark souls too. Um, the, I've said this a bunch of times, but I think that out of not just souls games, but video games that has my favorite player control difficulty. Mm-hmm. It's so elegant and uh, granular. Like the options you have for making that game as difficult or as easy as you want it to be are, amazing um you know it is just a very very user-friendly in that respect um and then the uh the actual individual stories um not the npcs but the actual stories of the lands weirdly enough like the environmental stuff is really strong and gets stronger than the dlcs like the three kingdoms you explore in the dlc are great yeah um 
you know, just just really, really uh, fascinating, compelling stuff. Yeah, I think the Dark Souls 2, 2's world is only going to get more credit as time goes on, especially since Dark Souls 3 kind of contracts compared to that. Mm -hmm. um, I think the Dark Souls 2's expansiveness and just sheer visual and like architectural and geographical diversity, mm -hmm. like, you know, <laughs> one spoke or, you know, like the, like the end of one spoke looks nothing like the other. Yes. Um, yeah, yeah. You, and, you go to the ends of, you know, the the conclusions of these different aesthetics. Yes. Yeah. And I think that that is, that is tremendous. And obviously that's a very shallow thing. Um, mm -hmm. And, you know, that has that, like it, it dips into gameplay some because each of the each of the areas does feel different and play slightly different, probably not as different as like, you know, two areas that look the same or look very similar in in one mm -hmm. um, compare like the lower Berg to uh, the the depths or the depths to Blighttown. Those all look pretty similar to each other, but they play entirely differently. But mm -hmm. like despite that shallowness, I think that just the sheer expansiveness and the fact that Dark Souls 2 has so much to give is a pretty big thing. And it's got a sense of scale that um, I expected to be ex expanded upon and wasn't yep. uh, in Dark Souls 3. Like just that, that idea that uh, time has passed that we're dealing with, which a lot of people saw initially as a weakness, um, but now, and this that's pithy, I keep saying it, but like Dark Souls 2 took place millennia after Dark Souls 1. Dark Souls 3 takes place like four weeks. It's like it's like a it's an extended vacation, and then now we're in Dark Souls three. You know, like that <laughs> sense of like uh, time passing and cultures rising and falling and every and legends becoming obscured. That's really cool. Um, that's something I actually really like. Yeah, Dark Souls uh, one weekend at Bernie's. Dark Souls two two thousand one a space odyssey. Dark Souls three <laughs> weekend at Bernie's two. Yes, <laughs> there we go. Um, uh, Bloodborne I think has the best uh, macro story. Like mm -hmm. the actual story of what happens in the main plot without necessarily those side details is my favorite in Bloodborne. Yeah. Um, you know, and and the themes that it messes with are really dear to me. Yeah. Um so uh I think that Dark Souls 2 um on the balance has the best optional content. Um, mm -hmm. given that so much of it is optional. Like compare Hemwick Charnel Lane and uh, I think that uh, if, you know it's hard to go up against the painted world, but Hemocharnel Lane and uh, oh gosh, Castle uh, Kanehurst. Yeah, you said you uh, said Dark Souls two at the beginning of this, but oh shit, sorry, no. Bloodborne. yeah, Blood, Bloodborne. Sorry about that. Um, Bloodborne, yeah. I think has the has the best um, yeah yeah the best optional stuff. Like, and then if you add throw like roll in the DLC, yeah. um, which not only like rounds a lot of circles on the uh, the story, but also is just amazing. You know, from front to back, like there it's three extra really amazing areas. Mm -hmm. um you know so that's that's all stuff bloodborne does and then dark souls 3 is my favorite like I, I mentioned this before but in my hands like dark souls 3 is the is the dark souls classic control style perfected to me um you know the weapon arts add like a lot as far as uh you know things you can do and things just feel better um yep. the move sets are really really tightly kind of constrained but there's that variety out there they just did the first um kind of update patch that is buffing magic i think that another one will come but i knew that was going to happen uh, to make magic more viable from the start as a solo kind of thing sorcery uh, and uh faith i don't know it just said spell magic so i don't know which one it is but yeah. um once that kind of comes through it already had more ways to play than bloodborne and it will even have more as kind of time goes on i think yeah um i think that dark souls 3 um, so if you look at like the jump from two to scholar and, it, you know, it was obvious that from, you know, takes delight in punishing you for your expectations or kind of subverting them. I think that three is a whole game that traffics and trades 
on your familiarity, both mechanically and, you know, aesthetically and story-wise. Um, and so I think that three is a really good kind of sequitur um, for the entire series. And it makes me feel really cared for as somebody who is invested in this. It's hard to like wrap that up in like a bullet point feature kind of thing. But I think that um, it's uh, it's knowingness about the experiences that we're bringing into this is is really laudable. It's really like a, that's a double edged sword for me, though, because like yeah. that's that same place is where all the cameos come from and stuff, which I don't like. Yeah. Like the more time that passes, the more I am deciding I don't like that no. when it actually works. And the big reveal that maybe was that spoiler in the thing. Mm-hmm. Um, that's, that's great. Yeah. You know, but it's just, uh, when that, I, I agree with you when that's subtle, I yeah. just wish it was subtle for the entire game because like, we're not stupid. You know, we would have been okay knowing that like something was up mm-hmm. without literally just having all of our old friends show up. You know, and that stuff actually, I think, is a huge weakness to that game. Yeah. Uh, but when it works, when it's ar- architectural, right? Like when it's just like I go in a room and it has a similar layout to something I've already seen, yeah. that works so well and is really, really good. Yeah. Um, I just wish more time and energy was spent on that. Yep. Um, Definitely. Um, even just like mechanically too, like boss encounters that you know are meant to uh, kind of play with your expectation around the way this kind of fight works. Mm-hmm. Um, those are all um really good and those are those are subtle enough like whenever they do that exercise that in moderation it's it's good or at least in a non-confrontational way um i think that a lot of the stuff that feels pretty bad is when somebody gets right up in your face and screams hey remember yeah which is which is sadly much but even like bringing up boss fights too like and this rolls into that mechanical part but like it's my favorite set of bosses to fight Mm -hmm. in the series like there are fewer bad fights in dark souls 3 than there are in any other souls game yeah um you know so it, as somebody who likes those games like i like exploring i like the lore and stuff but i'm really into just the mechanical like feeling in my hands it fixes there are fewer bosses that are more tightly designed than two but it fixes the bloodborne thing of like fighting with the camera and having a bunch of beast hair in your face <laughs> uh for 90 percent of it and that's awesome yeah no yeah that's a good question that was a good question yeah um can Double kiss. Yes, yeah. he got a smooch. I've, I've been smooching while you're reading. Okay, cool. Uh, extra, extra smooch. <laughs> double shovel smooch. Yeah. Uh, David writes, "What is your favorite? I really need the. I really need to get this game done, but I also need something to eat food. Or uh, uh, food. Wait a second. What? Sorry, I thought he said game, but uh, well, I prepared the wrong answer for this. Let's try this again. <laughs> what is your favorite? I really need to get this game done, but also need something to eat food." So I think food that you can eat and then get right back to uh, get right back to playing a game, maybe uh, chicken wings. Chicken uh, wings. Think, uh, no, that's you can't you can't do that. Like chicken wings, <laughs> um, like nuts. Yeah, that's what that, that that's the thing. Like a handful of cashews, or uh, go to uh, go to the Costco and get like the uh, like a thirty pack of like individual like peanut, cashew, and almond. Mm-hmm. Just just pop one of those boys open. I don't like eating um, in front of a screen. So, uh, yeah, like starting and playing a game and eating something just so I can finish the game and finish the food as a non-starter. Yeah, I will. I will eat, eat nuts while playing a game and yep. we'll eat dinner in front of a screen. Hmm. So, um, any screen, just, just if you want to <laughs> track me, door. like, yeah, just uh, throw down a, throw down a screen. It'll be bait. <laughs> screen bait. Yeah, no, I, I'll, I'll, uh, I will eat while looking out a screen door. There we go. There we go. 
or eat at Screen Door in, in fabulous Portland, Oregon. Is that Which a rip place? What? It's a really good um, like Southern comfort food mm. kind of place. It's all this stuff is just soaked in sweet whiskey. It's gross. No, of course. Um, but yeah, it's a really good like um, uh, soul food kind of place. Yeah. Hmm. Did yeah. we go there or was that a different? We did not go there. We went um, to uh, Poshines. Oh, there we go. I remember that. By, by my old house. This is, um, yeah, this is by my new house. Like I, I only moved to places that are near soul food. Nice. Because I'm smart. I think that's a good uh, a good algorithm, a good heuristic. Oh. Oh. Uh, Brad Massey writes, nerd rage and nerd triumph. When, <laughs> when was the closest you ever came or have you ever destroyed a controller in rage? Conversely, have you ever felt elated enough, elated enough in victory to do something that would be embarrassing around others, e.g. dancing, literally jumping for joy or weeping from relief? Uh, I've never broken a controller. Um, and probably the most performative I get is either a high five if somebody's in the room, like I fight a boss and and high five, or uh, like a you know, and I'll do that from time to time. That's probably about as as performative as I get. Yeah, uh, I don't break a controller. I uh, pound my knee. I will do that too. Yeah, I will uh, do do that. Um, and because I live on a second floor, I have to lift my knee like I'm in a hoedown, <laughs> and then uh, and then hit it there. And then hopefully it doesn't transmit down because I like my downstairs neighbor. Um, and in terms of like, yeah, the yeah, we talked about it in the, mm-hmm. in the, in the Titans Souls episode, I, I do a fist bump. Um, I will also do like a, what feels like a very Bradley Cooper esque, like laughing out of joy and relief. Like, <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah. yeah, give me that pill. Yep. <laughs> I don't have any limits anymore. <laughs> Robert De Niro. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Exactly. Yeah. Uh, Greg writes, in regards with the possibilities of the new shows, any favorite X-Men storylines in comics or the cartoon? Also, which Final Fantasy do you most look forward to or fear covering? Ooh, that's a good question. Yeah. Um, yeah, X-Men. Um, so we've, we more or less have like all of the first season of that recorded. Um, it was very fun to revisit. We did a, a special or we did a side episode where we talked about the pride of the X-Men which is a pilot from uh, the 80s that the arcade game is based on. Mm-hmm. That is uh, really ridiculous, and that was really fun. Yeah, I had that on VHS, I think, maybe. It's uh, it's rough. Mm-hmm. Um, the uh, And then as far as like storylines in the comics, um, like that show isn't really covering comic stuff. It's all stuff filtered through that shitty animated series. But um, as far as just favorite storylines, like I'll go to bat for the Grant Morrison new X-Men. I do it all the time. Um, And then classic storylines. I have this weird affection for like early 90s pre-Fatal Attractions stuff. So I really like um, the Executioner's Song and the Extinction Agenda are two (laughs) storylines I have a lot of affection for. Um, The uh, the Extinction Agenda is really weird. It's where all the Genosha stuff comes from. Mm. And uh, it is just, it's it's really, really bleak. Mm. Um, and I, I really like it. It's lots of like just people in cells and you know, it, it's, it had a sense of stakes when I was young. So. Yeah. yeah. What's uh so I haven't read as much X-Men as you have, and I'm only kind of like vaguely familiar of like smatterings from across the, uh, the name of the arc with, uh, with, uh, Quentin and, uh, that's uh, the new arc. Oh, uh, so Riot at Xavier's is the name of the, individual yes. arc yeah that's great that one right there just like the uh magneto was right stuff i, I th- i'm gonna default to that yeah yeah that's, that's super good yep 
if you're looking for like a smaller arc because like Grant Morrison's run was really long. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And it's it's relatively self-contained too. It ties into his greater story, but not so much. No. Yep. Um, and then the second part, Final Fantasy you're most looking forward to and the one you're least looking forward to. That's that's tough. Yeah. Um, as well. Um, the Final Fantasy that I just feel due to replay that I haven't replayed in a long time is probably either four or nine. Mm-hmm. Um you know, so those might be the one I would most want to revisit. Um, and then the one that I dread doing the most um, is maybe three. Which Man, is you're stealing my answers, dog. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. sorry. Because <laughs> two is the traditional wisdom, right? Like two, two is the one that everyone hates. Yep. And then one is really basic. So that's kind of hard to, uh, to talk about. Mm-hmm. But three is like, I played, it's right on the edge of being good. Like it's, you can't really talk about it being good. And it's so hard. Mm-hmm. Um, it's so hostile like even the ds version yeah. is just so so unforgiving in a way that i just don't that makes me just want to fire up a, a rom of it yeah for states and stuff yeah and like three um, yeah the job system and that's great but like that's you know it's the first appearance but it's by no means the best <laughs> no 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 not yeah. at all yeah. um Okay, so I'm going to have to take a different tack here. Um, I'm not going to say like 13 or whatever, because like I think that there's stuff to recommend that from what I've played of it. You just have to alter your expectations. Um, yeah, uh, so I'm going to say uh, probably Final Fantasy Tactics 8 2. If we just yeah. do that. Yeah, that, that, that's, that's, a good, that's a good answer. Yeah. That, that's a rough one. Yeah, just uh, that one's not, not, a, not a good time. Um, and then the ones I'm most looking forward to, since since he said four and nine, and those are the ones I just gen- generally have the most affection for. I'm going to say eight. Hmm. Yeah, eight, um, I, eight. I wanted to to revisit too. Yeah, I just I, I kind of always have like a like a constant tickle at the back of my head, just kind of like just open up your Vita, play some eight. Yeah. Why don't yeah. you? It's like no, I'm saving it. <laughs> well, yeah, and it's it's hugely long, so yeah, yeah, it is a lot to do. Yeah, um, and I want to go back and like revisit the narrative of eight because like it's been a long time since I thought of that. Me, me too, and because, partly because I remember really disliking it, mm-hmm. um, like the grand narrative. Like I remember liking um, the love story part of it as a youth, but just once you get to uh, the the orphanage, I remember it being real stupid. Yeah, well, I want to uh, go back and pay more attention to like Laguna stuff. So, okay. Yeah. yeah, like the Laguna stuff is the the thing that people like when they talk about that that game. But mm-hmm. going like reading up on it and everything, I remember it just being a lot of like a hapless kind of hapless anime dude who can't get with the chicks for a lot of it, which is not going to age well for me. Yeah. I think. Uh, yeah. yeah. But like, you know, mystic quest, I'm kind of excited to play that just because I never played it all the way through. Like there's a bunch of those little oddities that it's like, well, I'm going to have an excuse to play legend. them, you know, yeah. what's that? Final fantasy legend. Yes. Like yeah. Oh, Final fantasy Adventure. yeah. Like, so, so yeah, I'm looking forward to doing those oddities too. And like mystic quest is not a long game. No, no. Like, and that would be a fun, that'll be a fun episode to record. Yeah. Like for sure. Um, so, so the structure, I don't think we've talked about this, but we have it kind of vaguely planned. It's not one episode per game, like WAF, because that would oh, kill us. <laughs> um, but it's also not like bonfires. Like it's not a season per game either, because that there's nothing to talk about. Mm-hmm. Like there's not a like rich culture in elf land to talk about in, uh, in final fantasy one. So it's a few episodes per game. Um, that lets us pace our playing and, yeah. you know, allows us to have stuff to talk about for the whole thing. Yeah. I'm kind of wondering, uh, we're just not going to have like a period of time. It'd be awesome to do like a pilot for that just to release it as a teaser. But that might yeah. be something we want to do is like when we get closer to that goal. I mean, I think that we should do um, a pilot for everything as it's coming up, you know, yeah. and there was ones we already recorded, but we should record an REM pilot. 
yep. as like a teaser um and then and then not do any more but like the final fantasy one is a hard thing to say we'd record a pilot for because it would be require playing final fantasy one again yeah um you know and uh so, but yeah as we get closer i think that's a good idea if it seems like it's eminent let's do it yep um and also then we can get ahead because we love getting ahead yep <laughs> boy yeah that was a weird look i no, sorry uh dr gannon writes what are your thoughts on video games live I know you guys prefer older music to current soundtracks, uh, but do you enjoy orchestrated versions of classic tunes? Yeah. Yeah. I, 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 went, I went to something like that. Um, I don't know if it was video games live. Um, my ex took me to something that was similar to that. It was n- not quite video games live. It was called like the hero's journey, something, something. Um, and it was a few too many like new games. So they were already orchestras. <laughs> You know, and it was kind of a, you know, like it wasn't as interesting because it wasn't new arrangements. You know, it was just the same instruments that were like playing the Halo music, but just playing in front of me. Yeah. Um, but when they played old stuff, it was really awesome. They did um, some stuff from Chrono Cross, which is great because, you know, I don't love Chrono Cross. I love that soundtrack a lot. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I dig it. Like, I like video game music. Mm-hmm. Yeah. One of my uh, one of my favorite CDs when I was little, uh, my parents like order this for me from a magazine was the uh, the Final Fantasy IV Celtic Moon. Mm, yeah. Yeah, the, just the <laughs> Nobuo Uematsu's weird fascination with Celtic music writ large with these Celtic or uh, you know arrangements and just listen to that until it just wouldn't play anymore. Um, mm-hmm. But it's hard to do with a CD. Um, yeah. And I think that has carried over. Yeah, like I love hearing a new arrangement. Agreed. Agreed. Yeah. Um, and that was the last priority question that we had. Uh, do you want to go to the ones in the comments? Yeah. Okay. Um, JP Art Space writes, uh, since Teenage Dirtbags is winding down the legendary Witch Pokemon is Cutest tournament, I thought it'd be fun to take it to its essentials and ask Gary to Google two characters and answer which is cuter. Okay. Um, so just do, okay, I think it might be Vanilla Ice JoJo and Cream JoJo. They have um, like Jojo potatoes. <laughs> Delicious. Mm. Um, I don't know that I'm getting the right uh, right characters here because putting those things into Google image search is giving me a lot of stuff. Yeah. Um, Cream Jojo appears to be um, like a demon. Or like at a least there's a tongue demon kind of guy. Yeah, like a multi tongue demon is what's showing up most frequently for this guy. And then Vanilla Ice uh, Jojo um, appears to be like a Simon Belmont kind of figure. Yeah, um, a little bit like a long-haired uh, guy. Um, so here, that's... the actual text doesn't say um, vanilla, just like vanilla ice JoJo. I put JoJo there because otherwise you're searching for vanilla ice and you're going to find uh, um, that wrapper. I I actually found it. I think I think those are the right characters. But if I not if I don't do image search, if I go to the JoJoWikia.com, mm. um, I get them. And I think that's roughly it. It's like a Simon Belmont kind of analog, and then a big multi-tongue demon. Yeah, um, probably the Simon Belmont analog. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, this demon guy looks pretty gross. He's got a really like squishy wet tongue. <laughs> uh, he's not that cuter. He's very, not that cute. Very Again, textured. Which Pokemon is coolest might be a totally different story. Yes. So, but since this is in the spirit of which Pokemon is cutest, we yes. have to go with the one that looks less like it's going to scratch you to death with his rough tongue, like a mama cat. One hundred percent. Yeah. 
Um, Brayden Cameron writes, Aww. whoever that is, um, you both played Fallout 4, right? So Desmond, is he the worst or the is he the worst or the worst ever? Uh, Brayden hates Desmond, which is great. Um, <laughs> I've never played four, so I don't know. You guys got you got to play four, so we can do that bonus level. Yeah, we do, but I'm playing New Vegas right now. Yeah, <laughs> and it's it's yeah, it's not that's that's a lot of Fallout. Um, yeah, Desmond Desmond's rough. Um, the uh, give, give me the the back of the box on Desmond. So Desmond does a couple like companions in four are like uh, they're better than three, worse than New Vegas. Um, and Desmond is they all have like ones you know the ones in three had uh, nothing interesting about them. Like, oh, it's Paladin Cross. Uh, mm -hmm. In 4, they all have like one sentence that's interesting about them, or mm -hmm. sometimes two. Um, so Desmond is like, he works for the uh, Underground Railroad, and he's like a spy guy. Um, and he kind of talks like a real cool hip cat, which is like kind Christian of obnoxious. Slater, yeah. He's a little bit like Christian Slater. Um, it's it's uh, pretty obnoxious. Uh, but the cool thing about him is that he spies on you before you recruit him. So when you're walking around, he's in disguise at various areas, <laughs> shadowing you before you meet him. And that's is it like a Gene Parmesan kind of thing. Is he yeah. like a, a furry uh, holding a bunch of balloons? Or yeah, more or less. Like it is very Gene Parmesan esque. But he's real. Like his battle quotes and stuff are really annoying, and that is why Brayton hates him. In addition to just choosing to arbitrarily hate. Um, <laughs> so he's 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 pretty obnoxious. Uh, was the question is he the worst in Fallout Four or the worst anything? Uh, is he the worst or the worst ever? Uh, he's the worst ever in Fallout 4. Okay. I'll give him that. He's pretty obnoxious. I, I think that I think that Brayden is trying to stack it. So you say bad things about Desmond. I think he I think he is. And I did. <laughs> and I will. This is a strangely ap apropos question. Um can can you take Shovel Knight over to Brayden and then give him a smooch? Uh he's uh he's not here. It's uh it's still working time. Oh yeah. Shit. You're right. I'll uh -huh. I'll give him a bed smooch from Shovel Knight. Yeah, okay. <laughs> Uh, let's see here. Uh, this is this is actually really uh, prescient. James Robinson, James Robinson asks, have you played Stubbs the Zombie? I was wondering if you had heard the soundtrack. It's indie bands covering classic 50s hit singles. Shame that they only used it on the title screen. What did we talk about that in? I think that was Adaptation Decay. I think so too. I go into a fugue state every time we record. Whenever somebody asks, hey, what episode was I? I just, I got nothing, man. I'm sorry. Yeah, we, we just talked about that. Yeah, like um, literally. Weirdly enough, yeah, the um, yeah, I did play it. The Steam version or the version that was on Steam has an error, so you can't finish it. So I never finished it, but I liked it. I never finished it. I played it on a checkout from GameStop. I kind of wish I would have just bought it um, mm -hmm. so I could play it. But um, but yeah, that's really good. Um, it is a really inventive shooter, and uh, boy oh boy, is it stylish. Yeah, yeah, and the soundtrack stuff was really cool, even though there was not very much of it. So we agree with you on all those points. It was just uh, <laughs> I never got a chance to finish it. Sadly enough, yeah. Um, Sam Bear um, gives us one that uh, we're probably going to have to dedicate a lot of time to. We can get probably a couple hours out of this. Uh, what is your favorite cryptid? If you can't pick one, what are some of your favorites? I know it's a boring answer, but I'm a Sasquatch fan. I'm a <laughs> yeah. Sam Squanch fan. Yeah, um, that, that is a great question. <laughs> yeah. Cryptids are great. Yeah. Um, I'm going to say the Loveland Frogman. Oh, okay. Yeah, that, that's uh, that's some local heat. Uh, somebody in uh, Loveland, Ohio, which is just a little ways uh, northeast of me, it's like a suburb of Cincinnati, uh, down on the banks of the Little Miami River, uh, saw a uh, what appeared to be a deep one. Like if you look mm -hmm. at pictures of it, like it is an, uh, a bipedal anthropomorphic frog kind of guy. Um, and he took some shots at him and this frog generated a bunch of sparks 
to chase him off, and that was the last that anybody saw of it. Uh, but it rose into local legend as the Loveland Frogman. That's pretty great. Yeah. Yeah, I like it. Um, yeah, I've got a dictionary of like monsters that has a bunch of those around here, re, you know, somewhere. So if I did some review, I might not have uh, this specific answer. But I really like uh, Spring Heeled Jack mm. as a thing, which is sometimes a man, sometimes a monster. Uh, but it's like a leaping critter killer <laughs> thing that is uh, British. Nice. Um, a lot of the big, the commercial ones, like I don't really like Sasquatches very much. No offense. Um, <laughs> and I don't really like the Loch Ness monster very much. Um, no. I think they're kind of boring. Yeah. Like, I think that both of the, like both of those have uh like neither Sasquatch nor the uh, Loch Ness monster feel dangerous. That's um, the thing. Yeah. And I think about, I think about these cryptids and these monsters as monsters you would fight in a video game or D and D, you know, here's a question. Uh, Here's here's a thesis I have that I'm just pulling out of my ass, so maybe it's not true. But if a book has an illustration of a Fiji mermaid, that's a pretty good book, right? I think so, yeah. Yeah, it's hard for me to imagine the use case for a book that has an illustration of a Fiji mermaid that isn't talking about something I'm interested in. I could see that heuristic being weaponized. Like, what if every Dan Brown book just had a just had a Fiji mermaid inscribed in the cover? Yeah. Well, I'm I'm not entering into a pact. <laughs> as, as books exist now. <laughs> yeah um yeah just like uh because that's why i was thinking of that uh the encyclopedia of monsters i have like i was thinking about that because that's in there and and just learning about those things was just like yeah. oh yeah i don't that's know if scary. this counts as a cryptid but i like jackalopes a lot oh yeah i think yeah. so yeah uh yeah. i think that that counts because some people have definitely said that they're actually a thing um but they, there's a little overlap where it's like cryptids but then you find those books that have fiji mermaids and like the cardiff giant Mm-hmm. and stuff and I, I dig that shit yeah like and this is this is a little bit where my disinterest in native american stuff as like a literary trope um is like is called into question because i like i like the cryptids of the southwest so like mm-hmm. i'll be down for a chupacabra but i definitely like thunderbirds yeah you know yeah, i like that too yeah and even like in the like in the in the north the northwest like wendigo is a super is a super uh, kind of cool thing when it's in the right, when it's in the right context. You have to uh, get yourself a uh, a copy of the Shadow, the Shadowrun like monster manual because hmm. uh, it's all based on that stuff. The uh, paranormal creatures of the North America, it's oh, yeah. all based on like cryptids and legends and stuff like that. But because in magic and Shadowrun is weird, like it's literally things coming to life, like you know legends and stuff coming to life. Yeah. Um. So you run into really cool monster versions of all that stuff. Hmm. Nice. It is a good, and that, that book, um, each section has a section of like a message board of people talking about it. So there's this apocryphal information about the monster and the stat block stuff. Oh, nice. So, wow. Yeah, it's, it's really cool. Like it which, separates uh, the stuff and makes it in world. Which edition is that? Uh, second edition is the one that I have affection for. Okay. Um, and the one that you'll find for $2 at a thrift store. So, okay. yeah, no, there's a, there's a game, there's a gaming store, a couple of neighborhoods over that I need to go check out. Mm-hmm. Um, so just that that would be a good thing to go there and look for. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, and then the last question from the comments here, Adam writes, have you ever thought about making a compilation of the WAF and abject suffering intros? Are you in luck, my friend? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, yes and no. Yep. Um, so we have of WAF. Yeah. Um, there's a show mm-hmm. that is about that. That is commentary track on, on those called uh, WAF tracks. That is a premium show, so you get it for being a patron, but you get 
you can also buy it. Um, and the first episode is available for free. Um, so you can check it out and see if you like it. Yeah, it's and on the same yep. RSS feed that this comes out on in audio. Yes. Yep. And then Abduct Suffering intro is like, ah. Eh. Those, like, are those so, are more like off the cuff. Pull like, those off our dicks. Like it's not um there'd be nothing for us to say about them. And like if you want to make one, you can make one for sure. Mm-hmm. And sometimes they're very funny, but they are literally just pulled out of our dicks. Yep. So sounds painful. Um no, well, you know. Like un- like unsounding. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, let's see here. Uh, we have one last question in the Q and a widget that, uh, is from, is from Brett, um, that, uh, so Zachary, uh, kind of responded and said, uh, and thanked us for the answer. But, uh, Br- Brett asks, um, have either of you had the experience of the souls verse creeping into your dreams? The other night, I vaguely remember running away from someone or something and rolling to dodge obstacles. Oh, that's fun. Yeah. Um, no, I don't, I don't remember a lot of my dreams. Um, yeah. and when I do, they're mundane and sad. Uh, <laughs> so not really. Yeah. We had a recent object suffering about this, I think. Yeah. No, yeah. no, no. Like I, you know, there, there was a time in my life when I definitely had more, like I've played so much of this game that I'm kind of playing it in my dream kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but that has kind of like, that was mostly like Tetris and EverQuest. Yeah. Flow games. Yeah. yeah. Like I've seen guitar hero things coming at me yeah. in dreams um, but uh, yeah. but souls like as much as i wish that i could say that you know my dreams were sweeping souls and beksinski-esque nightmares mm. uh, in dreamscapes uh that's not the case yeah sadly yeah. Yeah. yeah um that's probably a good good place to end it i think so yeah we've hit yeah. a yeah there are 90 minutes um thanks everybody yeah we really appreciate it watching yeah. Um, if you only tuned in for part of this, uh, it's going to go up on YouTube and the audio version is going to be going live here pretty soon. Um, yeah, that's all the admin stuff. Uh, yeah, we'll uh, you know keep keep an eye out uh, for next month's um, mm-hmm. event when we put that live. But, uh, but yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah, thank you guys very much. Yep. Take care. Have a good month. Bye. Bye.